Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're in volume one, chapter 16, which is titled Dissolving the Ego. Ego serves no purpose. This is part of developing a life practice, the path that leads to enlightenment. We use this book as a guide for our group learning program, where each Sunday I'm going chapter by chapter to be able to help you understand the path that leads to enlightenment, to develop a really nice foundation or a nice framework so that you can sequentially understand the teachings that would help you to move the mind to this enlightened mental state where you can experience peace, calmness, serenity, contentedness, and joy. And in order to do that, one needs to eliminate pollutions out of the mind, namely the 10 fetters. So today we're going to be talking about two specific fetters that are in the unenlightened mind that need to be eradicated as part of dissolving the ego. I'm going to walk you through helping you understand each one of these fetters and more generally helping you to understand what the ego is, the complications that you experience in life because of the ego, and then how to actually eliminate it. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class today, whether you're joining for the first time or you've been joining regularly. You're welcome to ask any and all questions as we go in our class. If you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put that into the comment section. I'll be able to see that and then I can answer your question. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So I'm going to use some visual aids to help me be able to share the teachings with you so that you can understand this topic of the ego and how to actually dissolve it. So first thing to understand as we talk about this topic is to understand what the ego is and how I'm describing it. This word ego didn't exist during the lifetime of the Buddha. So let me help you to understand what this word is because the Buddha absolutely taught to eliminate the ego, but he just wasn't using the word ego because it didn't exist. He describes it as two separate things. But let me first help you understand what the ego is, then we're gonna split it out and then I'll help you to understand it more. The ego is a collection of experiences from the past or certain expectations you have of yourself for the future. The ego is an accumulation of thoughts, ideas, perceptions that you have based on your self-image of how you would like to be perceived in the world or the self-identity that the mind is holding on to. The ego contains arrogance, pride, judgment, measuring and comparing, putting yourself to be above people or below people, thinking that you're either superior to people and talking down to individuals 
or you might think that you're inferior and that you're under people. And in this situation where the mind is doing this, it's not steady, it's not calm, it's not stable. You can't experience the peace and joy because when you put yourself above people, you're talking down to people. And when you put yourself below people, your mind is all shaken up and uncalm. So as long as the mind is doing this, you're gonna notice that you have struggles and difficulties in life. That if you have ego, people might reject you due to that arrogance, that boastfulness, that pride. If you have this self-image and self-identity that the mind is clinging to, then there are certain perceptions that the mind is holding on to. And now when you go out into the world, you can't feel comfortable in all situations. So this ego is causing the mind to experience this problematic relationships and this discontentedness. Essentially what the ego is, is it's kind of like this dirty window that when you look out at the world, you're looking out at the world through this dirty window. And now when you see things, when you interact with people, when you experience certain situations, you're experiencing it through this dirty window. And what I'm going to be helping you with today is learning how to clean that dirty window off so that now when you look out at the world, you can see true reality. And the first part of that is to just understand what the ego is so that now I can start breaking it down for you in more detail. Because the Buddha explains what we refer to as the ego as two separate pollutions in the mind or two separate fetters or taints or defilements. It's the first fetter referred to as personal existence view in the eighth fetter, which is referred to as conceit. And it's actually very helpful for you to understand it as these two separate pollutions, because when you understand these two separate pollutions, you can see that the symptoms are very different from one to the next, and that the remedies and ways that you eliminate it and dissolve it from the mind are very unique and different between these two fetters. So I'm going to explain it to you in the way that the Buddha described it, so that that way you can see this more granular level of detail, which is going to ultimately help you to be able to notice the symptoms when this is arising and then ultimately be able to eradicate it. So this personal existence view is the first fetter. And we talked about this a couple of different times in this group learning program already, where we talked about the universal truth of non-self being the solution to this pollution or this fetter or defilement or taint of personal existence view. What personal existence view is, is where the mind is clinging to this body or the mind itself thinking that this is who you are. The mind is clinging to a certain self-image or a certain self-identity, thinking that this is who you are. And now the mind experiences various discontent feelings as it relates to this. So for example, if you spilt ice cream or maybe spaghetti sauce on your shirt. When you were in a social situation, you might have felt embarrassed in this situation. This is because the mind is clinging to this self-image, wanting to be perceived in the world a certain way. And as long as you're being perceived the way you want to be perceived, you'll experience pleasant feelings like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, exhilaration, euphoria. But if you're being perceived in a world that the mind doesn't want to be perceived in terms of having chocolate ice cream or spaghetti sauce on your clothes, that's when the painful feelings arise, like embarrassment, or you might experience shyness or things like this. So as long as the mind's clinging to this self-image or this body thinking that this is you, you're going to experience this up and down, up and down related to this pollution. If you've ever looked in the mirror and you saw a wrinkle or you saw a gray hair or you saw that you were losing your hair or you might have seen like a mole or something, maybe a pimple, maybe you notice some extra fat here and there. And when you saw these things and noticed these things about the physical body, your mind might have been shaken up. 
You might have experienced discontentedness when you experienced those things because the mind was clinging to this body thinking that this is who you are. If you've ever had somebody compliment you and say, wow, you look so beautiful or you look so handsome in those clothes or wow, that shirt really brings out the colors of your eyes. You look so beautiful or you look so handsome and you got those pleasant feelings. That's because you heard something that was agreeable. And now when you heard that agreeable sound where somebody was complimenting you, there were these conditioned pleasant feelings. The happiness, excitement, elation arose in the mind based on the condition of hearing this agreeable speech about this self-image. But then it's only a matter of time before you hear something degrading or disparaging. You could hear somebody say something that's demeaning or degrading about the self-image. And if your mind is allowed to get those conditioned pleasant feelings when somebody says something positive, when you hear this disagreeable speech related to the self-image, now you're going to experience the mind having sadness or anger or frustration or irritation or annoyance, some other painful feeling, maybe guilt or shame or fear, stress, anxiety, or something like this. So this is what happens when the mind's clinging to the self-image is that it thinks that this body is you and now it's only when you have agreeable contact that you will experience pleasant feelings but those are only temporary and now the mind's going to end up in these painful feelings at some point and the same thing is happening with the self-identity that the mind can cling to your culture your ethnicity your nationality maybe your sexual orientation maybe a job title or occupation or something like this thinking that this is who you are maybe even a role that you play in society you might be clinging to this as your identity in the mind and once again when you hear agreeable things related to those identity that the mind's holding on to you'll get those conditioned pleasant feelings but if you hear things that are disagreeable you might experience painful feelings so if somebody says all people from singapore are lovely and kind and friendly or all chinese people are this way or all people from bangladesh are that way or all people from america or canada or south america if somebody says something very positive about the place where you're born you might experience conditioned pleasant feelings but now it's only a matter of time before you hear something degrading or disparaging. Maybe you're in a restaurant and two tables over, somebody could be disparaging your nationality, your culture, your ethnicity, your sexual orientation, maybe your job or occupation. Maybe they're talking in degrading ways about that. So if you allow your mind to get conditioned pleasant feelings based on those things, and that's who you think you are, then when you hear these disagreeable things, then the mind's gonna experience painful feelings. So if you identify with I am American or I am Bangladesh or I am Singaporean or I am Chinese or I am Canadian or I am British or I am Australian, any of this I am, I am, it's only a matter of time before somebody says something either agreeable or disagreeable and now you think that's who you are. So if somebody two tables away at a restaurant is talking about your nationality and that's who I am and the mind identifies with that, now they're talking about you and now you might get frustrated or agitated because they're talking about me, they're talking about Chinese people or they're talking about Americans or they're talking about Buddhist teachers. And if you have that identity in your mind of that's who you are, now your mind's going to get shaken up. 
You can see this with like a job or occupation. If you've had a certain job or occupation for an extended period of time and now you identify with this is who you are, like I am a police officer or I am a lawyer or I am a doctor or I am a food server or I am a taxi driver or I am a Buddhist teacher. Now clinging to that identity, if you hear people say positive and agreeable things to you, now you're going to get those conditioned pleasant feelings. They might say all Buddhist teachers are kind and friendly and generous with their time. Oh, okay, that's who I am. I am a Buddhist teacher. But now it's only a matter of time before people say something degrading and disparaging about Buddhist teachers. You might be in a restaurant, you might turn on the news, you might see something on the internet. And now the mind is shaken up by that because the mind is identifying with that's who I am as a person. And you can't control what other people do. Or you might be in this job for a period of time and identifying with this job is who you are. And now when you lose your job, maybe the company goes out of business, maybe you get laid off, maybe you get fired, maybe the company moves to a different location and you can't move. If you identify with that's who you are, you'll feel very lost in the world. You feel like a part of you is missing. Or if you retire from this job or occupation, you might feel like a part of you is missing because you once identified with this is who you are and you're no longer doing that. Or if you identified with a certain role, like I am a boyfriend or I am a girlfriend or I am a husband, I am a wife, I am a mother, I am a father. And now things start changing. Maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend goes away. Maybe your husband or wife pass away or you split up or maybe your children leave home. And now that identity is no longer intact because the mind is experiencing impermanence related to the roles that you fulfill in the world. And now when you're no longer in that role, the mind can really struggle feeling lost and feeling empty inside. You might have felt like you wanted to hurry up and get right back into another relationship. Or you might have felt like you wanted to hurry up and get right back into another job of that same type because the mind was struggling during this period of time because it felt like its identity wasn't intact. But this isn't going to solve the problem because if you just hurry up and get back in another relationship, as soon as you're not in that relationship anymore, you're going to struggle again. So what the mind needs to do is eradicate this personal existence view from the mind so that you can realize non-self. And this is part of dissolving the ego because personal existence view, clinging to the self-image and the self-identity is how the mind is holding on to this self-image, the self-identity, wanting to be perceived in the world a certain way and sometimes becoming quite boastful about that. So the mind needs to eradicate this. Then there's this conceit. This is the second part of what we are referring to as the ego because the Buddha wasn't able to use this word ego during his lifetime. So he used personal existence view and conceit, which again is very helpful because you're going to see the symptoms here of what conceit is and the symptoms that it causes and how to eliminate it are very different. So what conceit is, is conceit is the arrogance, the pride, the judging, the measuring or comparing as being superior or inferior to other people. This is where you might walk around with your chest puffed out or a chip on your shoulder, thinking that you're an expert in something, or you just got to show other people how smart or how intelligent you are. Maybe if you're in a environment where you go into a social situation, you might need to figure out who's above you and who's below you or who you are above and who you are below. 
And now the people that you feel are below you, maybe you talk down to them and you talk in a degrading way. But the people who you feel above you, maybe your mind is all shaken up or uncalm. Maybe there's a certain celebrity that if you met that person, your mind would be all shaken up around that person. You would be all uncalm. Or maybe you go into your boss's office or you go into an environment where you're in a professional environment where maybe you're at an interview and you feel like these people are above you. And now you can't perform with your boss or at a job interview because your mind is all shaken up thinking that these people are above you. And if you're judging other people, you may be judging yourself too and thinking that you're no good and having negative self-talk in the mind all because of this conceit where the mind is putting itself above people or below people. And where this is coming from is your previous existences. All of us have had countless previous existences, whether you're aware of those now or not, you've had these countless existences. And when we were in the animal realm, we needed to have conceit. We needed to know who was above us and who was below us. We needed this pecking order because when we were a pack of wolves, we needed to know who's the alpha male and who's the alpha female because they were showing us how to hunt and how to survive. And they were the ones who were breeding in order to make sure that our pack of wolves could continue to grow. And then when we were a herd of elephants, the matriarch of our herd needed to show us where the food was, where the watering holes were, where the migration paths were. And if we didn't know who the matriarch of the herd was, we would really suffer. We would really experience a lot of difficulties in life because we wouldn't be able to survive and sustain our life. So this pecking order in the animal realm that is there for a reason because it's needed for survival, as our mind is conditioned to think that way, as we're reborn into the human realm, we maintain this ego and it's reinforced and supported throughout our life where people tell us, you know, you've got to go out into the world and be somebody. You know, you got to go out in the world and change the world. You got to leave your mark on society, right? This is all like animalistic things where you're leaving your mark you know, around your territory so that other people know that this is your territory. So if you maintain that ego and continue to cultivate this conceit in the mind, then you're going to notice that you're going to be rejected by people. When you go around people with arrogance and pride and boastfulness and you're measuring and comparing yourself of being above them or below them, you're going to experience that people will reject you because they're not interested in being around that. Where you needed this ego and conceit in the animal world, you don't need it here in the human realm. It actually serves no purpose whatsoever. It's getting in your way and complicating your ability to live with all beings harmoniously. Because when you go around people being boastful and arrogant and prideful, they will push you aside or they will reject you. And if you're interested in having harmonious relationships, both personally and professionally, you're going to need to dissolve the ego and eliminate it so that it no longer exists. So I'm going to pause here and see what questions you guys have about what the ego is and how the Buddha described it through personal existence view and conceit, because it's really important that you understand what it is and some of the symptoms that you're experiencing as a result. Because after this, I'm gonna go into talking about the ego in more detail so that you can understand some of the complications that you experience because of the ego. And then we're gonna talk about how to dissolve it and eliminate it. So it's important that you first understand what it is in relationship to personal existence view and conceit. So if you have questions, you can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section, and I'll be able to see that and answer your question. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So I see Biplab, you have your hand up. If you'd like to ask your question, sir, go ahead.
Thank you, teacher. I have a question about here in our country, um, the monks uh, who uh, sit, uh, uh, who uh, thinking they're uh, superior to a household practitioner and they do not um, communicate easily because um, and then um, this uh, maintains a distance from household practitioners and they do not see it uh, at the same level and is it conceit or arrogance yes that's conceit and arrogance and it's unfortunate for those individuals it's to their own detriment that they're experiencing that because during the lifetime of the Buddha, when he describes being ordained, he talks about it as the lowest form of livelihood that exists. And that's the way the Buddha lived his life. And that's one of the reasons why he got to enlightenment, is that he considered himself to be equal to others, but he taught his ordained practitioners to think of themselves as the lowest part of society, even though there isn't this pecking order, it helps to eliminate conceit. Because remember, he was a prince, destined to become a king. He had all the royal riches, he lived in the palace, and he went down and lived on the street wearing rag robes and accepting donations for food as he walked down the street. And that's the way he lived his life and that's the way he taught people to live his life. But over 2,500 years, more and more people have put themselves up higher and higher and now the ordained practitioners in some cases are being taught that they are higher than household practitioners. And there have been for a very long time assuming this conceit in their mind and now they don't respect household practitioners in some cases and this is the reason why you see a lot of the temples are empty people aren't interested in going to the temples people aren't necessarily donating to support those individuals and they're finding that a real struggle in the ordained community to continue to support themselves this is a big conversation within the ordained community because they're losing support more and more and they don't understand the reason why is because they're putting themselves up so high and they're thinking they're so high and now the household practitioners are starting to reject them more and more and more. This is the problem with conceit. So the gamma or the results of their decisions as an ordained practitioner or anybody who chooses to have conceit or have this ego is they're going to be rejected and more and more what we're seeing is that ordained practitioners are being rejected by people all over the world that there's a certain people of course that just respect them just to respect them but more and more people are rejecting them due to their conceit and one of the biggest things that i can share with any ordained practitioners who are learning with me is you need to humble the mind you need to show respect and gratitude to the household practitioners because without them you don't have the support you need so if you put yourself up really high your mind isn't going to be able to get to enlightenment. Therefore, you don't have the wisdom to be able to share with the household practitioners to then help them get to enlightenment. So therefore, you're not going to get the support you need. So one of the biggest messages I could send to ordained practitioners is to work on eliminating any kind of conceit and all these other fetters so that then you can provide the teachings and the wisdom to the household practitioners so that they can then get closer to enlightenment and then you will see more support coming your way. Thank you, teacher. You're very welcome, sir. Looks like Marcy has a question as well. If you'd like to ask your question, Marcy. Yes, teacher David. So my question is, is that there are certain times where I'll be involved in a conversation with someone and um, they'll be, you know, expressing a certain feeling or condition 
and will say, would you like me to share with you what I know? And then they say, yes. And as I begin to share, they instantly will cut me off and begin on. And inside my mind, I feel this urge to kind of set them straight. And I use that because that's kind of like the real feeling I have is to set it straight. Now, is that my own um, personal existence view or my own conceit chiming in there? Am I like, you know, thinking I'm better than them or that I have better stuff to say? Or am I doing the right thing by just kind of going silent and just letting them kind of flow and waiting for a dull moment or, or a pause and then trying to interject? I feel like I'm, I'm struggling with that. Yeah, that is your ego. That's your conceit. So initially, when you say, are you interested in my thoughts on this topic? And they say yes. In that moment, they don't have ego. I mean, the ego is there. But as soon as you start talking, their ego tries to come over the top. Their conceit is coming over the top of you because they're not comfortable in that situation where you're starting to teach them. And the best thing that you can do is recognize that that's your ego wanting to prove a point and wanting to set them straight. That's your conceit. And you would like to cut that off and let it go. And if now they come over the top of you, you've got to recognize this person has too much ego and it's not wise for you to sit there and continue to share with them because it's not going to go anywhere. The worst thing you can try to do is teach through the ego because it's just going to keep rejecting you and rejecting you and rejecting you over and over and over again. Their ego is going to be rejecting you. And it would only be your ego in your own craving that wants to sit there and convince them that you know more than them. So in a situation where somebody is trying to share with you and trying to come over the top of you, you can recognize that this is their ego and just choose to either walk away or disengage or you know just end the conversation at whatever point makes sense to end it. But continuing to sit there and try to share with them, even though they said yes, they're interested in hearing from you, it doesn't actually make sense. In some cases, when I've seen this occur, I might ask them a second time after they have gone through their little spiel. I might say, are you sure you're interested in me sharing with you to help you in this situation? And sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Yes, I would like to hear what you have to say. But oftentimes this is because I'm in the role of a teacher. I'm at the temple or they've invited me to have a conversation and they're interested in getting help. But in your situation where it's just like friends, friends or coworkers or family members, you're not necessarily in that teaching role. So sometimes it's very hard for them to wrap their mind around learning from you. So you might decide to ask them one more time if they're interested in a very kind and loving and warm way. But if their ego keeps continuing to block any kind of conversation, it's better to just change the topic or walk away or do something to bring the conversation to an end because you're not going to get through that ego. Okay. Thank you, Teacher David. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. That's actually one of the challenges with the ego is it's one of the most detrimental things in the mind because the ego's in there thinking that one is so great and so wonderful and such an expert on everything. So it's actually hinders somebody from getting the help that they need to actually learn how to dissolve the ego. So the ego itself is like a self-defeating thing. It's a self-sabotaging thing because the more ego one has, the more help they need. But because of the ego, they won't actually get the help that they need because they think they're so great and everyone else is the problem. All right, let's see if we have any questions here anywhere else. All right, it looks like Mayuli has a question here. 
teacher, is ego and having pride the same thing? So pride is a component of the ego. The ego is kind of like the umbrella that is encompassing personal existence, view, and conceit. And pride is one aspect of conceit. So that's part of the overall ego, but the ego is the umbrella. And the pride is just one symptom of one having conceit, thus having ego. So one of the things that we can talk about here, Mayu Lee and all the rest of you guys, is you know we're oftentimes taught to have pride, be proud of our accomplishments, be proud of our children, be proud of our credentials and our degrees, be proud that you're going on vacation, be proud of your job, be proud of what you have accomplished in life. That pride isn't accomplishing anything. It's important to make wise decisions and be confident in the world. You're not interested in diminishing yourself, but going around being prideful, this is just the boastfulness, the arrogance, the conceit, you know, posting on Facebook like, wow, look at me, I got this, or I got that, or wow, look at my son did this, or my daughter did this, or, or wow, look at my son going to Harvard University, aren't they so great? Well, this is just being boastful and arrogant and people will tend to reject this. So even though you'll see in common conversations and in what people talk about and they talk about being prideful, it's really unwise to allow the mind to be prideful about anything. Any decisions you're making about sending your kids away to college or certain credentials that they have or you have or anything related to what you're accomplishing in life, just do that because it's wise for you and it's helping to improve your life not because we need to show it off to other people, just remaining humble. And this is where you can just continue to work towards more and more improved progress. As soon as somebody rises up with pride, you guys know the first thing that people do? The people around you are gonna try to knock you down, right? That's exactly what happens. When the ego rises up, the pride rises up, people are gonna knock you down. Or people are gonna get jealous about what you're accomplishing and then they're gonna push you away because they think that those painful feelings of jealousy are coming from you, when in reality it's their own craving. So by you being prideful, if somebody chose to do that, then people are gonna try to knock you down or they're gonna push you away and reject you because they're jealous about what you're accomplishing. So it's much better to stay humble and just stay quiet about the things that you're accomplishing in the world and just do it as wise decisions. Now, if somebody asks you, you know, do you have a college degree or where are your kids going to school or how long have you lived in Thailand or how long have you been practicing the teachings of the Buddha? You can share that with them, but you just do it in a humble way because they've asked you this question versus like actually going out in the world and sharing it with the chest puffed out and a chip on their shoulder because people are just going to try to knock you down when they see you accomplishing more and more wonderful things or they're going to push you away and reject you. Looks like Marcy has a question. Go ahead, Marcy. Um, so, Teacher David, I understand you're saying, but what is it that I would apply to the mind? What is it that when I'm feeling that that pride, that boastfulness, um, what is it that I would apply to remedy that, to, to kind of like cut it off? That's what I'm going to teach you in this class. We're not there yet. Okay, okay perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Teacher David. Yep, I'll get to it. Good you're thinking that way. All right, let me look one more time, see if we have any more questions. Okay, I'm not seeing anything. So I'm going to move on to now that you understand what personal existence view is 
and you understand what conceit is and some of the symptoms that you're experiencing there, now I'm going to talk about these two fetters as the ego. And then I'm going to break it out again and explain to you the solutions. But now let's talk about it as the ego and what the ego is doing so you can see more of the problems that this ego is causing you so that then you'll understand why it needs to be eliminated and dissolved. The ego stands in the way of you seeing true reality. It's like this dirty window, as I mentioned, and you're looking out through this dirty window, and now you can't see true reality. And what you need to do is clean up this dirty window. But as long as you have this dirty window and you're looking out at the world, there's going to be certain unwholesome qualities that you have in your mind, and you're going to be projecting those onto others. And now you're going to read that reflection that's coming back to you as coming from the other person, when in reality it's coming from your own mind. Let me give you an example of this. Let's just say you're in a business meeting and you're sitting there with five, ten other people. And now somebody walks into the room. And when you turn and look, they walk into the room and they have really nice hair, they have really nice clothes, they have really nice jewelry, and maybe even there's a certain aroma from perfume or cologne that comes into the room with them. And you think right away, look at them trying to show off, trying to look so beautiful, trying to look so handsome. Don't they think they're so special? This is the mind casting your own unwholesome qualities onto that person. Because the mind with this conceit and with this ego is thinking that this person is trying to look so great in front of everybody else. But in reality, that's what you want. You want to look so great and so wonderful and so beautiful and so handsome and others. And because that's what you want, you're casting that onto this person. The only thing that's really truly happened is a human being just walked into the room. That's true reality. But the mind has these unwholesome qualities with its ego casting these qualities onto this person, thinking that this person wants to look so beautiful and look so handsome in front of everybody and wants to show off. And now when they sit down and they start sharing certain comments in the business meeting, maybe you're bitter and hostile, having animosity towards this person through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. And now the other people in the meeting are seeing how you're interacting with this person in a negative way. And now that's producing unwholesome gamma for you or unwholesome results for you. You can't live harmoniously with all beings when you're taking your unwholesome qualities and then casting that onto other people and now reading that as coming from them when reality it's coming from your own mind. So you're going to need to clear out this judgment where you're judging other people through your ego. So let's be sure that you understand what judgment is because sometimes people misunderstand what judgment is. This is where the mind is attempting to determine what is right or wrong for another person while placing yourself either above them or below them with arrogance or pride, comparing that you're superior or inferior to another person, attempting to declare what is wholesome or unwholesome or good or bad for others. This judgment is based in conceit. It's a harmful quality of mind that needs to be eliminated in order to get to enlightenment. So judgment is when you're looking at another person and you're trying to determine what is wholesome or unwholesome for them. And then you try to compare it to yourself thinking that you're either more wholesome than them or you're thinking that you're less wholesome than them and you're putting yourself either above or below them. This is that judgment. Sometimes people misunderstand what judgment is and they think it's just making a decision, but that's not what judgment is. What that is, is discernment. You need to eliminate judgment from the mind where you're putting yourself above people and below people. This is coming from conceit, but you need to cultivate 
discernment. Discernment is wise decision making. That's what you need to cultivate in the mind, basing more and more of your decisions and wisdom. And that's what you would need in order to get to enlightenment. But this judgment, this stands in the way of your enlightenment. It's only harming your own mind. When you look at somebody else and you judge them, that person who walks into the business meeting and you become bitter and hostile and maybe having animosity towards them, this is hurting you because as you function in this way, it's harming your career, it's harming your relationships. So you would like to eliminate any kind of judgment because if you're judging other people, you're most likely judging yourself too. Because if you look at other people and say, oh, look at that, that's wrong about them, that's wrong about them, they're bad because of that, they're bad because of that. And now, when you're doing that to other people, you're gonna do that to yourself and have this negative self-talk or this inner dialogue where you're degrading and diminishing this being who you are. So getting rid of this judgment, which involves getting rid of the ego, means that you'll have a more healthy relationship with other beings, but you're also going to have a more healthy relationship with this being who you are right now, with yourself. And what's happening here with this judgment and the way that the ego projects itself onto other people is the mind is forming perceptions. What a perception is, is a belief or opinion or a view of how things seem to be in the world. And oftentimes perceptions are misperceptions. They're not accurate. So as long as you're having these perceptions, these beliefs, opinions, and views about how things seem to be in the world, and you're forming those perceptions through this dirty window that you're looking out in the world, now you're clinging to these perceptions about this person walking in, look at them, they think that they're so great and they're so wonderful. Now you cling to that perception and you have a hard time working with this person in a business meeting or a business setting or maybe a team or something like this. So as long as you cling to this perception, which is a belief, opinion, or view of how things seem to be, and that's coming from you casting your unwholesome qualities on others and then reading that as coming from that person when in reality it's coming from your own mind, as you're developing this through your own ego, you're going to find that you're having difficulties in your relationships. So you need to clear all of this out. Another aspect of what the mind does when it has this ego is not only does it cast unwholesome qualities onto others, but certain wholesome qualities that you have in your own mind, your mind oftentimes can be craving permanence, wanting other people to do the same things as you. So maybe you've decided to eliminate meat from your food intake and now you consider yourself to be vegan and I am vegan, right? That might be part of that personal existence view. And now I am vegan. Now there's this arrogance and this pride that gets wrapped around that and that boastfulness. And now you want everybody else in the world to be vegan right now at the snap of a finger. And anybody who's not vegan, you might judge them in an unwise way and look down on them and degrade them, not realizing that you've come to this decision on your own because it's your own independent decision, it's your own independent journey, and not everybody's in the same place with their practice. Everybody is evolving at their own pace and they're evolving in different ways. So maybe you've moved to veganism and that's something that you've done in order to clean up your food intake, but maybe you're still having wrong speech. But maybe this other person over here, maybe they've got excellent speech, but they're still choosing to eat meat. So as soon as you start comparing people on things like who's more enlightened, you know, who's the most enlightened, 
or who's the most wholesome here in the room, your mind wanting and craving these wholesome qualities that you're cultivating, wanting other people to do these same things as you, this is coming from the mind's craving, desire, attachment for permanence, but it's oftentimes coming from this ego, the personal existence view and the conceit. And as long as your mind is doing this, you might attempt to control others rather than allowing them to make their own choices and their own decisions. So going back to what we talked about last week with true love, is as long as your mind is either casting unwholesome qualities or wholesome qualities, wanting other people to be a certain way, you're gonna find that you have difficulties having true love, loving people as they are and having sustaining, fulfilling, satisfying relationships. So as you're evolving and you're making wholesome decisions about certain qualities that you're looking to cultivate or that you have cultivated, be sure that you're not craving permanence and wanting everybody else to do the same things as you. Understand that everybody's on their own journey. You're on your journey. This is what you've decided to do. And not everybody else is going to decide to do the same things as you. So more and more, what you might be coming to the conclusion on is that the ego serves no purpose. This ego that is in the mind needs to be dissolved. It needs to be eliminated. As long as you have ego in the mind, you're going to struggle and have difficulties in relationships. You'll be boastful. You'll be arrogant. You'll have this pride. You'll be measuring and comparing people. When you're around a certain group of people, you might talk down to them. When you're around another group of people, you might look up to them that you're uncommon. And if you're in a mixed group of people, your mind is constantly trying to figure out, am I talking to someone who's below me or am I talking to someone who's above me? Your mind's almost working overtime, trying to figure out how should I interact here? What's the right way to do things? But when you can clear all that out, you can just function the same way with everybody. You can be polite, kind, friendly, respectful to everybody. By the time you get to enlightenment, you won't even have the slightest dislike towards any being whatsoever. Right now, there's probably certain people in the world that you like and certain people that you don't like. But by the time you clear out your mind of any kind of pollutions, you'll get to the point where you don't have any dislike towards anybody whatsoever. You'll just reside harmoniously with all beings. You won't be pushing people away. You won't be bitter and harsh and hostile. You won't put in your expectations on people. You won't be wanting them to be a certain way. Instead, you'll just realize you're on your own journey and you'll just continue to walk towards wiser and wiser decisions that are producing wholesome results. So this ego, it serves no purpose. It's been in there for countless lives and now's your opportunity to dissolve it and eliminate it and get rid of it. And that's what I'm gonna share for the rest of our class today is helping you to understand how to eliminate this. But now that we've talked about the ego as a whole, now I'm gonna separate it back to personal existence view and conceit because the tools and techniques that you use in order to actively eliminate personal existence view and conceit are very different because they have different symptoms. So I'm going to share with you how you can proactively work towards eliminating these two fetters. And then I'm going to teach you what to do when you're in the moment, when these fetters are arising in the moment. So here are some proactive things that you can do to dissolve the ego in that personal existence view aspect of it, where the mind is clinging to the body and the mind or the self-image and the self-identity. This is going to help you to eliminate that clinging so the mind will no longer hold on to this self-image and self-identity thinking that this is who you are. 
The one thing you can do to get us started is receive guidance on how to use the meditation to realize non-self. This is something that I taught back in chapter 11 of this group learning program. It's in volume one, chapter 11, whether you have a actual book, either downloaded, printed, or otherwise, or maybe the audio book, it's all in there where I explain how to use this meditation technique. I also teach this in various courses and retreats where we're spending a lot of time on personal existence view. If you're planning to join the retreat that I'm teaching in January, on January 21st through January 26th, I'm going to be teaching a retreat here in Chiang Mai, and you can attend here, but also I'm going to be live streaming it, which means it's gonna be recorded, and you can also join by Zoom. So even if you can't attend live, you can watch the recordings. We're gonna spend a whole hour and a half just talking about personal existence view itself. And then I'm gonna be actually doing this meditation of realizing non-self with the students as part of the retreat. So you're gonna to need to understand this and possibly use it in your practice in order to help you realize non-self. But if you're just starting on the path to enlightenment and you try to go in and start meditating to realize non-self, this isn't going to be very effective. You're going to need to do a lot of the preliminary work first to get to the point where the mind's willing to let go of personal existence view. So that's why early on in this program, I'm focusing students on developing the Eightfold Path and developing the breathing mindfulness and loving kindness practice, developing generosity and things like this. Because when you first get started, the mind's a little bit crusty. It's a little bit old, right? Or in terms of like moldy and kind of like not wanting to really let go. So that breathing mindfulness meditation, the generosity, the Eightfold Path and all these other teachings are helping to kind of soften the mind up. And as you're putting together all of this, you're going to start noticing the giant us, that the mind goes through these improved qualities of mind. There's four stages of enlightenment, and the mind's actually enlightened when you get to the fourth stage, but there's these preliminary phases that the mind goes through, referred to as the jhanas. If this translated to just one English word, I would use that, but it doesn't. So what this word jhana means is it means meditative absorption or mental absorption, that the mind has absorbed a certain amount of the teachings and you've absorbed a certain amount of meditation, where now you've been practicing for a period of time and you're starting to notice some improved qualities of mind. And the Buddha describes these four jhanas very clearly, and I also teach them in various courses and retreats that I teach, where you can know that your mind is in these jhanas. And when you're starting to notice that, that means you're really putting together the Eightfold Path really well because your mind wouldn't get into those jhanas without actually having put together the Eightfold Path really well. And now that's the time to really start focusing on working to eliminate personal existence view with this meditation. Some of these other things you can be doing right now, but with this meditation, that's where you would really like to start using it because the mind's ready and it's prepped and it's prepared to start using this meditation and go in and start removing personal existence view. Another thing you can do is change the language that you're using in order to disassociate the mind with the word my in connection to relationships or objects or various life situations. So right now you might be saying things like my car, my house, my keys, my phone, my kids, my husband, my wife, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my money, my clothes. Because when the mind has this personal existence view, everything is mine, 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 mine. The mind tends to cling to these kinds of things. So if you're noticing that your mind is doing this, you can actually disassociate with this word 
in connection to these various things and start changing your language a bit. And this will change how the mind thinks about the world around you and how you process the world around you. Part of what you're doing on the path to enlightenment is you're changing your perspective about how you look at the world around you and how you process the world around you. So if everything's mine, 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 my car, my house, my clothes, my money, this my, 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 mine, it's your personal existence view. It's your conceit that's doing that. So instead of my phone, you might say the phone. Can you hand me the phone? Or have you seen the keys, right? Or I need to go wash the clothes instead of my clothes. Or I'm going to go home to the house. Or I need to go wash the car. Or I need to go to the job, right? Instead of these kinds of things that you might be saying now. Well, in a lot of cases, maybe 90, 95, 98% of the time, you can do what I'm describing, which is use other language to disassociate with these kinds of things. And this will rewire the mind and change the perspective so that the mind no longer associates with these things as mine, 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 mine. But in certain situations, it's just going to make sense for you to use this word mine, but your mind can realize that these aren't yours. They don't belong to you. A perfect example is like my son. When I go places with him, I will usually introduce him and I will say, this is my son, Bailan. Where the other option there would be, this is the being that I contributed sperm to 12 years ago, right? And people would be like, what is he talking about? Isn't that just his son? Like this guy is weird, right? So if they said that, I wouldn't be affected by that, but it would just be odd to go into society speaking like this, right? So you might say this is my son or this is my daughter, but your mind needs to understand that they're not mine. They don't belong to me. I don't put my expectations on him. I don't try to control him. I love him as he is, whatever decisions he makes. Those are his decisions. I will guide him and try to help him to make wise decisions, but ultimately it's his life, right? So the mind can introduce him as this is my son, but the mind can understand he's not mine. He doesn't belong to me. So in a large part of your life, you might be able to kind of change your language around a bit. And you'll notice that you'll have better results when you're interacting with people, where if everything's mine, 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 they're going to pick up on that. And then they're going to feel that and see that. Whereas if you refer to things more general in nature, using the word the, then this will help you in life. Here in Thailand, it's very easy to go change your name. If you would like to change your name, you just go down to the government building, 30 minutes, an hour, and your name is changed like that. Because this name that we get, it's like a label that the mind holds on to with this personal existence view. And in Thai society, these teachings have been here for 800 to 1200 years. So the language that they use is oftentimes informed by Buddhist teachings. So not only is it easy to change your name, but when they use the Thai language, they will tend to talk in the third person. So instead of saying, I am hungry or I am thirsty, in Thai you might say, David would like to get some food or David is hungry, right? You might say something like that. So this is how Thais talk with their native language because their language has been constructed around these Buddhist teachings. And then their society has been constructed that way too. That's why it's really easy to go change your name here in Thailand, where most Western cultures, it would take many months. I know one time that I was interested in changing my name in America, it was 
going to be many months. It was hiring lawyers. It was going to court, criminal background checks, credit checks, all these kind of things. It's like, why are you interested in changing your name? It was just so far into them. Where here in Thailand, it's just very common that people understand that. So you might start even saying instead of I am hungry, you might say the body needs food or you might just think that. Right. Or instead of I am thirsty, the body needs water. Right. Or instead of I have a headache, you might think the head hurts. Or instead of I am grumpy, you might think the mind is experiencing grumpiness. Or instead of I am angry, you might think the mind is experiencing anger because those feelings aren't you. It's not who you are. So you can change your language here to start disassociating and start separating the mind from clinging to this self-image or self-identity as who you are. You're going to need to develop the perception of impermanence through deep observation in the world that this universal truth of impermanence is true. If you haven't done this yet, you might need to walk around the world and start looking for things that are either permanent or impermanent. Because as you go around the world and you look at material objects, you're going to see that nothing around you is permanent in terms of material objects in the world. And this is really helpful to walk down the sidewalk, see a crack in the sidewalk, that's impermanence. You see the color, the shape, the texture, the height of the sidewalk is changing. You know that that's impermanence. You look at the fence and there's paint on the fence and you see it fading. That is impermanence. You have a certain meeting scheduled for somebody to come see you and they call you the day before in order to cancel. You understand that's impermanence. Of course they're canceling, right? All these different things that are occurring in your life, you just see it. That's impermanence. That's impermanence. That's impermanence. We were at the temple today and students were talking through the microphone and it was cutting in and out. That's impermanence, right? The batteries were starting to die and it was cutting in and out. This is impermanence. It's all around you. So the more that you soak this perception of impermanence into the mind, the more you can start disassociating with this self-image or self-identity as being who you are because you understand that this body is impermanent and this mind is impermanent. It's constantly changing. So therefore, if your mind is craving and clinging to this body, wanting it to be permanent, you realize that that's silly, that it doesn't make sense for you to look in the mirror and expect for you to look exactly the same now as you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It's just not possible. This body is going to experience impermanence. The mind is going to experience impermanence. All aspects of your life is going to experience impermanence. So if you're clinging to a relationship, if you're clinging to a job title or an occupation, if you're clinging to a certain role, if you're clinging to any aspect of this physical body or your nationality or your sexual orientation, none of this stuff is you. And when you see that these things are impermanent, then it helps the mind to be able to let go. Another thing you can do is you can wear simple clothing and make your appearance be simple. This is something that you can observe that the Buddha did during his lifetime and ordained practitioners do nowadays. They wear very simple robes as a way to let go of the self and not project a certain self-image. Train the mind that there is no you here. And the way that they do it is they just wear the same simple clothes. And there's people that do that where they wear maybe an orange robe or some other type of robe. And there's people like me who just wear all white. So if you would like to do that, you're welcome to, but not everybody's interested in going out and purchasing new clothing to be able to do that. So if you would like to use your current clothing, what you can do is you can stack it on top and just make kind of like a stack of clothing. And then you just pick off the top. 
essentially what you're doing is you're taking the mind's role of choosing your clothing out of it. You're taking the mind's decision-making out of this because what you might tend to do is go over to your closet. You think about who am I going to see today? How do I want to look? How do I want to be perceived? Oh yeah, I want to wear that special green shirt or I want to wear that blue shirt or I want to wear these pants or this skirt or this thing or that thing. And that's what the mind's doing because it's trying to project this self-image in the world. This personal existence view is arising and you might you know, thumb through your clothing and try to find that perfect clothing. And at one time you might decide to put on something, look in the mirror, it doesn't quite look right. And then you change and you change and you change until everything's perfectly right the way you want it to be. So the way that you get rid of that is you stack things on top and now you just pick off of the top. And if you have a casual stack and you have formal stack based on going to work and needing to wear certain clothing, then that's really helpful. You can pick off of those two stacks. And this will help you to take the mind's decision-making out of it, where you're not sitting there contemplating who you're going to see and how you want to be perceived. And the same thing is true about jewelry, makeup, and scents. Oftentimes we wear certain jewelry or makeup or cologne or perfume because the mind wants to be perceived a certain way in the world. You might have certain jewelry that you wear outside regularly. And if you don't wear that jewelry, your mind doesn't feel comfortable. You might almost feel naked when you go outside without that jewelry. So what I would encourage you to do is introduce some impermanence into what you're wearing in terms of jewelry, makeup, or scents. If you're used to wearing the same jewelry out all the time, maybe one day you wear it, one day you don't. One day you wear it, one day you don't. Or maybe one day you wear it, two or three days you don't. One day you wear it, two, three, four, five, six days you don't wear it. Now, if you're doing this with your wedding ring, you might be interested to give your partner a heads up because if they start seeing your wedding ring come off, they might have some curious questions for you or they might be worried about that. So you might give them a heads up of what you're doing. And then over time, as you do this and you know that you can go out into the world and be just as peaceful and joyful, whether you're wearing the jewelry or you're not wearing the jewelry, then you'll know that your mind is liberated from these particular cravings or clinging that the mind might be experiencing. And then the same thing is true about facial hair or head hair. This is one of the reasons why the Buddha shaved his head is that it helps you to realize non-self. And not everybody needs to shave their head in order to get to enlightenment and realize non-self. I know people who have realized non-self without shaving their hair. This is oftentimes more challenging for a woman to choose to eliminate their head hair. It's oftentimes more challenging for a man to decide to eliminate their facial hair. But if you choose to do this, this can help you to really move forward with personal existence view. If right now just the thought of eliminating your hair or shaving your facial hair just makes you cringe inside and you feel uncomfortable, this is all the more reason to cut that off if you would like to. It's not something anyone's going to try to convince you to do or force you to do. Again, you're not required to do this. You can actually get to enlightenment without doing this. But if you would like to accelerate your ability to realize non-self and eliminate this personal existence view, this is one of the best ways to be able to do that is cut off any head hair or facial hair. Then you might even decide to seek guidance with the teacher over multiple sessions. This is going to really help you to be able to get the insight that you need because talking about personal existence view is something that students oftentimes need to do multiple times. I've talked to some students 10, 12, 15 times before they finally start coming to understand it and then actually starting to implement the tools and techniques to eliminate personal existence view is a whole nother thing. So these are the proactive 
productive things that you can be doing that I've just shared here. And seeking guidance from a teacher over multiple sessions is part of that help that you're going to need to proactively understand what personal existence view is and then to eliminate it. But then in the moment when your personal existence view is getting triggered, you're going to need to cut it off and let it go. So with your mindfulness or your awareness of mind, you can notice the personal existence view arising. So in this situation where maybe you've done what I've suggested, which is stack your clothes on top of each other, and now you go over to your closet and you're getting ready to pick off the top of your pile, but somewhere the personal existence view kicks in and it's like, ah, you're gonna go see that person today. Why don't you grab that nice shirt from the middle of the stack? Your mind's gonna wanna do that, right? And where you see that occurring, that's the personal existence view arising. You'd like to see it with your mindfulness and then cut it off, restrain the mind and pull it back. Or say you're in a restaurant and you hear two tables over, somebody talking about your culture, your ethnicity, your nationality, your sexual orientation, your job, and you're noticing the bodily sensation starting to arise because of the four foundations of mindfulness and being aware of that tightening in the chest or pain in the heart, maybe tightening in the throat or heat in the face or pressure in the skull, that this anger and frustration is about to arise, you need to cut it off and let it go. You might need to redirect the mind and take the mind in the opposite direction. You might need to get up and go to the bathroom or go wash your hands or something like this so that you're not hearing that. You need to protect your six sense bases. Now in the future, when your mind's liberated from personal existence view, you can just sit there and smile. It's not gonna bother you at all. But when you're in the process of eliminating personal existence view, you need to cut it off and let it go. So your personal existence view, even with all these proactive things that I'm sharing, it's gonna need to get triggered several times to give you the opportunity to cut it back and cut it back and cut it back and cut it back. We say cut it off and let it go, but it's not gonna be just one time. This personal existence view and all these other fetters, these are deeply rooted pollutions in the mind that it's like a wild bush and it's growing and growing and growing. If you're not working to proactively eliminate it, it's growing and growing and growing. So you're gonna to need to cut it back and cut it back and cut it back and cut it back, cutting it back many, 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 many times uprooting it out of the mind before the mind ultimately lets it go 100%. And you'll know that you're doing this because in situations where you were once angry and frustrated and irritated when your personal existence view got triggered, you're going to notice you'll be able to sit at that restaurant, you'll hear somebody two tables over talking about something related to what would have been your personal existence view, but you can just smile and you're not agitated, you're not frustrated, you're not even annoyed, you don't even have the slightest dislike for this person. You'll just understand that this is their opinion, this is their view, this is their perception that they have, and you're not going to allow your mind to become discontent just because of somebody else's perception. So you'll know that your mind's becoming more and more liberated from this personal existence view because you'll see it be calm and steady and joyful in situations where you otherwise would have been discontent. If you're in a social situation and you spill something in your clothing and you're not embarrassed, even you try to rub the stain out and it's still there, you don't have to leave the party. You don't have to change your shirt necessarily. You can just stay there and talk to people and smile and enjoy yourself and you don't feel embarrassed. You don't feel shy or anything like this. So this is personal existence view and how to proactively eliminate it and how to eliminate it in the moment. 
And I'd like to pause here and see what questions you guys have before we move on to conceit. So you can ask your questions by putting it into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions that you like. Okay, it looks like Francis has a question. Go ahead, sir. Greetings to you. Okay, just regarding the personal assistant view that I have, um, on several occasions when I meet up with uh, long-time friends who haven't seen me uh, a while, and um, what they say when they first saw me is that, Francis, what happened to you? Why are you so skinny nowadays? What happened to you? Uh, at the beginning time, uh, I felt that, oh my God, is nothing wrong with me? So I have a very strong aversion to that statement. And I have this uh, clinging to an old self that I used to be strong and uh, healthy and all that. So uh, then slowly I begin to learn to let go. Uh, but it still creeps back into me sometimes when I hear that in other occasions and say that, oh, you look so different now, you're so skinny now and all that, no? And then I will now tell them that yeah, it's part of aging and all that, it's okay. Uh, so is that something that I can cultivate more and more in my mind and say that accept it as the way it is and uh, just don't let it bother me anymore. I uh, like cut off this personal assistant view that I used to be like that and all that. So uh, could you give me a guidance on this one? Yes. So when they're saying, Francis, you look so skinny, your mind should immediately be thinking there is no you here. They're commenting on the physical body, but this isn't you. So right away, your mind should be understanding, you know, you're going to need to get to that point where right away, you know that they're actually commenting on the physical body. They're not commenting on you because there is no you. They're just talking about the physical body. What you choose to say to them, you know, what you said is fine. It's not causing any harm, but your mind needs to be sure that you're very clear that this physical body is in you. And all they're observing is that there's less weight. All they're saying is, hey, Francis, your body is impermanent. That's all they're saying to you, really. They're looking at it like, what's wrong with you? What's happened? You're so skinny. You're this, you're that. No, you're not. You're not any of those things. All they're doing is they're noticing impermanence. They're not understanding impermanence. So they think something's wrong. They think that you should look exactly the same way all the time. And this just isn't possible because of the universal truth of impermanence. So it's actually quite interesting when people say these kinds of things because your mind can understand all they're doing is pointing out impermanence to you and you can just smile and reply however you would like to reply based on your relationship and based on what they know about the teachings of the buddha yeah i i think i'm beginning more comfortable with all these things right now uh especially after all the teachings i received from you mm-hmm. so in this uh in a couple of times the last couple of months and i hear the same thing again you know that so i say uh, in my mind i say that it's okay it's just it's just my body it's just the, not the mind but it's just the body mm-hmm. going through impermanence i just tell in my mind uh i didn't say it out loud i just said i know that this is impermanent so I just reply to them and say that, yeah, it's part of life. And I just move on with my other conversation and not talk about it anymore. So this is what I've done. Yeah, each one of these situations, you'll reply differently. One time I walked outside and I was going to the park with my son in the village and my neighbor said, wow, David, you're so fat. I looked at him and I smiled and I took my hands and I snapped my, you know, 
patted my stomach. I said, yep, sure am. And then I just walked away. <laughs> so even though I know that I am not fat, it's just the body has this extra fat. I was just like, yep, sure am. And <laughs> just like walked away, <laughs> you know? So, you know, respond how you would like to respond. But inside, you're just not interested in getting angry or disgruntled or embarrassed or shy or frustrated or any of that kind of stuff. So each one of these situations, the variables are gonna be different. I was on my way to the park with my son, wasn't interested in getting into a deep conversation. So I just said something simple and just kept on going. So each situation, the variables are going to be different. So you're going to respond differently. Okay. Thank you so much. Got it. Yeah. All right. Marcy, what's your question? Thank you, David. Is it, um, and I, and I, I, I don't want to use like the word normal, but like, is there when you're on this path is there moments where you're um grasping and practicing non-self to a level and then have a setback where the practice of it kind of falls off and will you go through this kind of back and forth until the fetter of personal existence view is finally let go it can yes if you're not dedicated and diligent to understanding what it is and then being observant anytime it raises its ugly head that yes you can experience that regression but if you kind of work at it slowly but surely in the way that i'm describing here and then definitely when you get into the jhanas really start honing on on it really closely then you can experience forward progress but with any of these fetters you can kind of like notice that they're really high you can start knocking them down and then you start focusing in other areas and next thing you know like you turn around and it's grown back it's kind of like a weed or a wild bush that you thought you like uprooted it all the way and you go kind of start trimming some other bushes and next thing you know you look over your corner and that thing's growing again and you got to go back there and start knocking that one down again it's kind of like that game whack-a-mole that whenever you see the mole kind of pop its head up, you got to whack it and whack it and whack it. And you got to sit there and stay diligent the whole time until it's completely gone, game over, and it's no longer in the mind whatsoever. So you never would like to convince yourself that this personal existence view is gone. This is something you're going to hear me say at the end of the class, that don't convince yourself that the ego is ever gone, because as soon as you do, it's going to creep back in on you. So whenever you see any little symptom, even the slightest little bit of personal existence view or conceit arising, is cut it off, eliminate it, eradicate it, stomp it out, wring out that rag, get every last little drop out. Thank you, teacher. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. We have a question here from Punya or Buchani. Uh, I think it's difficult to know ourself that we're staying in the outbound conscious leading to the ego. And is this the same as narcissist? So for someone who lacks wisdom of what the ego is, it's very challenging for one to be able to see their own ego because oftentimes the ego is in there telling you that you're so great or so wonderful. So when you start learning more and more of what personal existence view is and what conceit is, and you start understanding the symptoms, you'll start being able to identify it within your own mind very well. And you'll start being able to identify it in other people too. And this is where like if you are an employer 
or if you're looking to have a life partner or you're looking for friends or other people to be involved in various projects that you have, as you're getting better and better at identifying your own ego, you'll be able to see it in other people and you don't need to be judgmental about their ego, but you might just use discernment, wise decision-making to only involve people that have either reduced ego or no ego. Although depending on where you are, it might be very challenging to find people like that in your life. But if you are an employer and you see somebody come in with all kinds of boastfulness and arrogance, probably the last person you're interested in hiring potentially. So you can get better and better by cultivating wisdom to be able to identify your own personal existence view and conceit as well as others. And that will help you to eliminate your personal existence view and conceit. And it will help you to be more successful in your relationships as you form personal and professional relationships in the world. What people refer to as narcissism is somebody who has a very high elevated ego and they're labeling it as this disorder or this mental disorder. This is what some people refer to as somebody who has a really, really high ego and they assign certain symptoms to it. So yes, somebody with narcissism or what psychiatry talks about as narcissism would be somebody who has a, a really deep significant ego and you're not interested in in having that of course and this is why narcissistic individuals who are labeled as narcissistic oftentimes stay in that condition for an extended period of time if not for their entire life because as i was mentioning i think in this class is that the ego is in there telling you that you're so great and you're so wonderful but as long as that ego is in there, you might be hindered from getting the help that you need to understand the ego and actually dissolve it because the ego is in there telling you that you're so great and you're so wonderful. It's almost like a bad tenant. If you ever have rented property or you've been a landlord, if you had a tenant there that wasn't paying any rent, wasn't giving you any benefit, and when you came around, you're like, hey, I need you to pay your rent. They're like, oh, don't worry. Checks in the mail. I'm going to get it to you. You know, just been a delay. It'll be there next week. And then next week rolls around and you, you notice that the check hasn't shown up and the money hasn't shown up and you go check with them again. They're like, oh, don't worry. Three more days. I'll have that money to you. They just find any little excuse they can to keep their foot in the door. This is what I would consider maybe a bad tenant or somebody who isn't really benefiting you in that landlord tenant relationship. So for you, your ego is in there doing that. Your ego is going to constantly be telling you that you're further on this path than you really are. It's going to want to convince you. Look at you. You're so great. Look at you doing your meditations. Look at you showing up to classes. Look at you speaking so nice to all your friends and family. Look at you doing so great. Oh, you're so enlightened. Look at you. Your ego is going to be in there trying to convince you of that. Because the more it can convince you that you're more enlightened than you are, then you won't do the work to kick this ego out the door. You got to kick this ego out the door in order to eradicate it from the mind. So if it can convince you that you're more enlightened than you really are, then you'll get complacent, you'll lack diligence, and it can stick around for longer and longer. It's like a bad tenant. So yes, that's what narcissism is, is someone has a really big ego. All right. So looks like those are all the questions we've got on personal existence view and eradicating that from the mind. So let's move on to conceit and talk about this. So conceit is that arrogance, the pride, the judging, the measuring and comparing, the putting yourself above people and below people. And this is going to cause you problems in life. So you need to be able to eliminate it or else you're not going to be able to live harmoniously with all beings. So these are some things that you can do to proactively eliminate 
conceit. You can say thank you, sorry, using polite words like sir or ma'am or I do not know. These are all words that you can get really comfortable using. Sometimes people have difficulty saying the word thank you or sorry or I do not know. Sometimes here in, in Chiang Mai, people ask me all kinds of questions about visas and the Thai government and all these kinds of things. And I just say, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and that can be really comfortable because if you're carrying around this burden of conceit and feeling like you have to know everything, this is a real burden to carry around. It's really heavy. It's really light and liberating to just say, you know what? I don't know. You know, this person over there might know, but I don't know. Sorry. Right. So you can say thank you and sorry. In the Thai language, we have words that we use that show politeness. If you ever come to Thailand or you're around Thai people or people from this region of the world, politeness and respect is baked into the language. There's all kinds of words that we use to address people, all kinds of ways to interact with people that shows this politeness. So even though this is in the Thai language, it used to be part of the English language too. We used to refer to people as sir or ma'am, things like this to show politeness, to show respect. So you might decide to start implementing this into your conversations when you refer to people. Refer to them as sir and ma'am to show politeness and respect. And then just be aware that there's some people who consider themselves non-binary, that they don't consider themselves male or female. So you might need to change the pronouns here a little bit that you may not be referring to someone as sir or ma'am. And just keep that in mind as you interact with people. Some people might share with you that they're not interested in being referred to as sir or ma'am. And that's just potentially their craving in their own mind. But oftentimes it's wise to just accommodate that because if you continue to refer to them by a gender that they don't identify with because of their craving, their mind can become agitated and irritated or angry. And then they attribute those feelings to you and then they push you aside. So if you're going to use sir or ma'am, you can use that, but then just be aware that you might encounter an occasional person that's not interested in being referred to that way. So you can use these words to help you to eliminate conceit. One of the very best things that you can do to eliminate conceit is to sleep in a low position, a non-elevated position and a non-luxurious position on the floor. You can sleep on the floor. You can even sit on the floor when you're reading books, when you're watching TV, when you're talking and having conversations and things like this. This is the best thing that you could ever do for the mind because by going down in and out of bed so many times throughout the day and throughout your weeks and months, this is gradually wearing away the ego gradually wearing away that conceit. It's not going to be one day, one week, or one month that this is going to occur, but this is one thing that it'll probably take you all of five minutes to set up and it's done. And then you're going to be reaping the benefits of that. Here in Thailand, if you go shopping for a bed, all the beds are from the knee level down. You can't really find a high bed here in Thailand because again, the culture and society is built around these teachings. But in places where you see a lot of ego around certain cultures and certain societies, you'll notice that people sleep on really high beds and very luxurious beds. So if that's the way that you're currently sleeping, I recommend for you to figure out a way to get your bed really low. For me, I got rid of the frame, the box spring, everything. I just have a mattress on the floor. It works wonderfully. It's still very comfortable. I'm not compromised in comfort whatsoever. It's just in a low position to go down and back out. And this is how the Buddha 
slept, as he slept on the floor. And you might need to gradually train your mind in the body to be able to do things like sitting on the floor to watch TV or reading books or having conversation. So you might do a combination where you sit on the floor sometimes and you sit in the sofa other times, or you sit on the floor sometimes, you sit in a chair another times, or maybe you stand and you can kind of slowly do this and train the body that it's can be comfortable to be on the floor and train the mind as well. Because when you're around other people and they're sitting on the sofa or they're sitting in a chair, you might feel hindered to be able to sit on the floor. And you're not putting yourself below them. You're just training your mind to be humble. So this is the absolute best thing you could ever do among all these other proactive things is to be sleeping in a low position and to sit in a low position where it's not elevated or luxurious. If there's certain tasks that you feel are beneath you, you can do these tasks in order to train the mind that you're just a normal average person. So if you think washing dishes or cleaning toilets or mopping floors or scrubbing floors or washing laundry or ironing is beneath you, it's important for you to do those tasks. If you currently are having difficulty doing those kinds of things and you feel like it's a low position in the world, then do those things, the more the better. That we have this phrase where people say, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. Essentially, there's no difference. Okay, before enlightenment, you were a human being and you should be working to be humble and chopping wood and carrying water. And after enlightenment should be the same exact thing, right? You're not better person. You're not putting yourself above people or below people. So wherever you have certain tasks that you think are beneath you, do those tasks. It'll help you to get rid of any kind of conceit. If you're noticing that when you're around people and they're talking and your mind is wanting to come over the top of them and show them how intelligent you are, or how smart you are, or how much wisdom you have, it's best to put your mind into situations where you can listen to other people teaching you wisdom without any interest to teach them anything. For those of you guys that show up to class regularly, you're already kind of doing this when you're in class with me. You're listening to me teach and you're not trying to teach me anything. You're just listening. But you can also do this in other situations situations too, whether it's certain people in your community, whether they're elders, whether they're younger people or things like this, you can be asking them questions about their life without any interest in teaching them anything at all. Because sometimes when you're in a group of people, if somebody's talking about their credentials or something that they're doing in life, because they might have ego, right? They might have boastfulness and arrogance. And when their arrogance and boastfulness is rising up, you might feel like you need to go over the top of them. And this is very unwise. So in those kinds of situations, you can just smile. You can see that it's this person's ego. Don't judge them for it, but don't allow your ego to try to come up over the top of them. This would be very unwise. So sit down with people and ask them questions and learn a bunch of things without any interest to teach them anything at all. If they ask you questions about your life, okay, share it with them. But if nobody asks you anything, then just ask them questions and listen. You can wash people's feet. This is wonderful practice for you. This isn't something that's typically done in Western culture, but here in Asia, this is a common thing, particularly here in Thailand. We actually have a name for it. It's called Damhua, where you're actually washing your parents' feet or your grandparents or your brothers and sisters, your aunts, your uncles, maybe even your teachers at New Year's, on your birthday, on Mother's Day, Father's Day, events like this, instead of the way that we tend to celebrate these things in the West where it's all about me, 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 like my birthday, in Thailand, they actually flip it. 
that on your birthday, you usually go to your parents, you bring them gifts, you wash their feet, you might take them out to dinner, and you thank them for giving you this life. And you might even throw a party for your friends, that you actually throw a party for your friends on your birthday, and you pay for the whole party in order to show them appreciation, because these are people that are contributing to your life and helping you to become a better and better person. So one of the things that people sometimes do in these kinds of events is they will wash the feet of those people who have contributed to their life and showing gratitude and showing respect. It's one thing to tell somebody I love you with words, but it's a whole nother thing to do it through actions. And when you can sit on the floor, you can have somebody sitting in a chair, you can bring a basin of water under their feet, and you can gently scrub your parents' feet or your teacher's feet or some of the people in your life that have contributed to your life. This is like a soft caress of the feet, a nice, warm, gentle touch where you're cleaning their feet, and it communicates love to them. Now, the first time you might do this, or maybe the first five or 10 times you do this, your mind might be uncalm because you've never done it, and the mind is uncomfortable in this situation. That's the conceit that's coming out of the mind. It's kind of shaken up in that situation. And if you're doing this with people who have never experienced it before, they might be shaken up by it too. Like the first time I did my mom and my grandmother, I think they giggled and laughed the whole time because they never experienced it before and they were a little bit uncomfortable. But each time I did it, they felt more and more comfortable with it and they understood what I was doing. So this is something that you can be doing even with people that have never experienced it before and just realize the way the unenlightened mind works is it doesn't like change. The same way of saying the unenlightened mind craves permanence is to say that it does not like impermanence. So when you start doing something new like this, your mind's typically not gonna like it, and it might try to reject it right off the bat. But that's the whole reason why you're interested in doing it, is to train this mind to be humble. So the more uncomfortable you are doing this, the more justification that is for you to do it, so that the mind can maintain its peacefulness and joy despite what's going on. You can show people respect or gratitude by doing what we refer to as a why. That's bringing your hands together palm to palm, bringing them up to your face and bowing your head. This is something that's done in Thailand and in some other cultures as well. It's starting to become universally accepted and universally understood as sharing politeness, respect, and gratitude with others. I see famous celebrities doing this in America. When they get on the stage and they accept awards, they will kind of bow to people. And even when I went to America last year, and when I traveled to Egypt, I did this everywhere I went. I was talking Arabic with people. I was talking English with people. Maybe I would check into a hotel and I would be bowing to them. And there was all kinds of appreciation and gratitude that was coming back to me. I wasn't doing that because I was wanting them to do anything. I was just doing that because that's my practice. That's what I do here in Thailand. So I wasn't going to change just because of going somewhere else. I was maintaining my same wholesome practice that is universally understood because I'm practicing the natural laws of existence. So it cuts through all cultural barriers. So when I was in Egypt, I would say, you know, assalamu alaikum. Or if I was in America, I would say, hi, how are you? I'm here to check in for a hotel, you know, and I'd be wying them or bowing to them. So this is communicating politeness and respect and gratitude. But also when you're bowing your head, you're helping to eliminate your own conceit. And in a culture like here in Thailand, which you guys can easily replicate wherever you are, is if you're doing this 10, 20 times a day where you're constantly bowing to people and saying thank you, this is going to gradually wear away your conceits in the mind. So this is a really helpful way for you to 
practice being polite, kind, friendly, respectful, having gratitude, and to eliminate your conceit. You can practice generosity, loving kindness, and compassion, which are all qualities of mind that I taught in other chapters. When I was talking about chapter 14 a couple of weeks ago, we talked about loving kindness and compassion and what those are and what they're antidoting. In, in chapter 10, we talked about generosity. So you can be practicing these good, wholesome qualities because you're going to need to cultivate those anyway. And as you're cultivating those, this is going to help you to be able to eliminate conceits as well because you're practicing generosity with others and loving kindness and compassion with others. Then you're going to need to eliminate any kind of judgment or comparisons that you have to the mind wanting to be superior or inferior. Wherever you see that arising, you're going to need to eliminate that. So if you're walking down the street and you're noticing this judgment arising in the mind, you're going to need to let that go and eliminate it. Be kind and gentle with others because it's the right thing to do. Not because you expect anything or you want anything, but because it's the right thing to do. Ask people advice about what they've learned in life and just listen without trying to prove to them anything. Just ask questions and listen. Help others without any expectation of anything in return or any positive benefit for yourself. By practicing that generosity, that's going to help you to eliminate conceit because you don't want anything from them. You're not trying to look boastful. You're not going out with a video camera to prove to everybody how generous you are. You're just going out into the world and practicing generosity without needing other people to know or without wanting anything. Just go out and help others because it's a wonderful thing to do and helps to cultivate your mind and enhance the mind. Seek guidance from a teacher to help you understand that you don't know it all. You don't know everything in the world. And if you're coming to classes like this, this is excellent for you because at a certain level, your mind has admitted to yourself, you don't know how to get to enlightenment. And that's really helpful for the mind to admit that to yourself, that you don't know how to get to enlightenment. And now you're seeking guidance from somebody that can help you to do that. Because as I mentioned, when the ego's in there, it's going to think that you're so great, that you're an expert, that you can do everything on your own. You don't need anybody else's help. And now you go off into the world with that ego and you're not actually getting the help that you need to dissolve the ego. So the ego is like a sabotaging force in the mind. It kind of sabotages your ability to get any help. So by you coming to classes like this and you getting help from teacher to be able to learn the path to enlightenment, this by itself gradually, slowly, but surely over time is helping you to be able to eliminate some of the conceit that's in the mind. And you're going to need to seek guidance over multiple sessions, both in public classes like this and maybe personal guidance as well. That's all going to help you. So these are all some proactive things that you can be doing. And then just like with personal existence view, whenever you see that the mind is projecting arrogance, pride, judgment, measuring or comparing, you need to cut that off and let it go. That's what you're doing in the moment. And in some cases, you may need to redirect the mind. If you're at a table of friends and everybody's talking and you're noticing the mind keeps wanting to come over the top or you've got some kind of arrogance or conceitful thing that is on the tip of your tongue and you're having a hard time pulling it back, you might need to get up and walk away for a period of time. Excuse yourself from the table and now go away for 5, 10, 20 minutes or what have you. Clear your mind and then come back and now reorient yourself where your mind's not wanting to come over the top. Because as long as you keep allowing the mind to do that, the mind's staying wired with this conceit. And if you keep allowing the conceit to come out of you, then by you putting that out, then you're going to experience 
more and more arrogance and conceit coming back to you. If you're conceitful, then you're going to notice that your kids are that way. You're going to notice your life partner has that. You're going to notice your coworkers and the people around you have ego. So the more that you practice being humble, you'll see more and more the people around you will start practicing in that way too, potentially. So wherever you see your mind wanting to be arrogant or prideful or boastful or judgmental or any of these other things related to conceit, putting yourself above or below, be sure that you restrain the mind. It's like riding a horse and you'd like to pull the reins back and not allow the mind to continue to do that. And just like I said with the whack-a-mole, that if you ever see that conceit rising up, hit it just like that game whack-a-mole. Now I'm going to share with you some words of the Buddha and I'm going to share one last thing with you and then I'll open up to any questions you guys have on conceit or any other aspect of what I've been sharing with you today. So these are some words from the Buddha around conceit and around this ego where he's talking to one of his students. And I'll read it to you and I'll help you to understand what he's sharing here so that you can understand how important it is to eliminate this ego and this conceit. This is titled, Gain, Honor, and Praise are an Obstacle Even for an Arahant. An Arahant is someone who's enlightened. This is the fourth stage of enlightenment. So here, the title being gain, honor, and praise are an obstacle even for an enlightened being. Monks, gain, honor, and praise, I say, are an obstacle even for a monk who is an arahant, one with taints destroyed. When this was said, the Venerable Ananda asked Master Teacher Gotama, why, Venerable Sir, are gain, honor, and praise an obstacle even for a monk with taints destroyed? So Ananda here is rightfully saying like, hold on a second, hold on a second, Buddha. If somebody's gotten to enlightenment and their mind is liberated and they're experiencing that peace and joy of the enlightened mental state, why would gain honor and praise be an obstacle for them? If their taints are destroyed, if their 10 fetters are eliminated and they're enlightened, why would gain honor and praise be an obstacle for them? So then the Buddha comes in and he says, I do not say Ananda, that gain, honor, and praise are an obstacle to his unshakable liberation of mind. So the Buddha is saying, I do not say that gain, honor, and praise are an obstacle to someone who's already enlightened, but I say they are an obstacle to his attainment of those peaceful dwellings in this very life, which are achieved by one who resides diligent, dedicated, and determined. So dreadful, Ananda, are gain, honor, and praise, so bitter, vile, obstructive, to achieving the unsurpassed security from bondage, enlightenment. Therefore, Ananda, you should train yourselves thus. We will abandon the arisen, gain, honor, and praise, and we will not let the arisen, gain, honor, and praise persist, obsessing our mind. Thus should you train yourselves. So he's saying, once your mind's liberated, Gain, honor, and praise doesn't affect you. If somebody shares something that's praising you, your mind's not shaken up by that. But also, if somebody says something negative, your mind's not shaken up by that. But in order to get to enlightenment, when people are praising you, when people are saying complimentary things to you, that's an obstacle for you. You're going to need to reside peaceful and joyful. 
not allowing the mind to get those conditioned feelings. Sometimes what you might notice is you might feel like you want to be validated or you're seeking validation from somebody. That when the ego is in there, you might have something that you think is intelligent and you're looking for other people to validate what you're thinking, what your thoughts are, what your views are. And now if they validate what you say, you get those pleasant feelings, but if they don't, you get these painful feelings. So when people are praising you, you're gonna need to reside humble. When somebody says something complimentary, you might say, thank you for your kind words, or I appreciate your thoughts, or whatever it is that you might say, you might smile, or what have you. But don't allow the mind to get the conditioned pleasant feelings, that happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, exhilaration, or euphoria, based on the condition that somebody is praising you. And if you can restrain the mind in that situation, then when somebody's being degrading and disparaging to you, you can train your mind to not experience the painful feelings because you didn't get the pleasant feelings when somebody praised you and you understand impermanence that some people are going to praise you. Some people are going to say disparaging and degrading things about you and you can reside peaceful and joyful no matter what's happening. That's just impermanence. That's all that is. You're never going to get to a point in life where everybody thinks that you're wonderful. You're never going to get to a point in life where everybody loves you. It's just not going to happen. Even the Buddha, Jesus Christ, Prophet Muhammad, all these other beings that have done amazing things in the world, not everybody loves them. Not everybody thinks they're such a great person. So surely people aren't going to think that way of you. So if you allow your mind to get these pleasant feelings based on this praise, then it's only a matter of time before somebody says something degrading and disparaging, and now you're going to end up in the painful feelings. So the Buddha is helping his students to be able to see that. So this is from the Buddha, and he's talking about how dreadful, bitter, and vile, how obstructive this is. That's what I was talking about, how this ego, as the ego is in there, it's like self-sabotaging. It sabotages you from being able to get the help that you really need in order to get to enlightenment. And that's why the Buddha is calling it so bitter, vile, and obstructive, because it will sabotage you from ever getting the help you need to ultimately eliminate the ego itself. So what I encourage you to do with all of these teachings, as you learn them over many years and months, and you maybe listen to this class again, when you start implementing these things in a proactive way, and then you also start eliminating the personal existence view and conceit in the moment, is that as you're starting to eliminate the ego, you're going to start noticing that your mind is going to become more peaceful and joyful as a result. You're going to notice that your personal and professional relationships are going to be gradually improving because of this and other things that you're doing too. But as your ego is diminishing more and more, don't ever convince yourself that the ego has been eliminated. If you always and forever develop your practice to eliminate the ego and never assume it has been extinguished, then you won't get complacent. If you convince yourself that personal existence view is gone or that conceit is gone, you will overlook when it arises its ugly head. If you think the game is over and the whack-a-moles aren't going to come up anymore, you're going to miss the whack-a-moles that are coming up. You're not going to smack them down, right? So if you think that game is over, personal existence view and conceit is gone, you don't have to think about it anymore, then it can rise up on you without even realizing it and you haven't actually uprooted it. So don't ever convince yourself that any of these fetters are eliminated. Don't ever convince yourself that you're enlightened. Just always consider yourself a work in progress in that wherever you see personal existence view or conceit, which we're referring to as the ego, whenever you see that arise and any little sliver of it arises, work to eliminate it. 
through doing the things that I'm sharing here. So if you never assume that the ego has been eliminated, then you can just always develop your practice that wherever you see it raise its head, you can cut it out and you can eliminate it. Like I mentioned, like you're wringing out a rag and you're trying to get every last little drop out of this rag. So let me know what questions you guys have. This is everything that I'm going to share with you guys today. You can ask your questions through Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Okay, Buchani, I can see you're thanking me. You're welcome. Pleased to help you. Okay, I'm not seeing any other questions here, any other things that you guys would like to talk about. So I'm just going to end today's class by thanking all of you for joining. Thank you for your questions and your dedication and interest to learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha. Coming up this year, since today is the last day of the year, you probably hear some fireworks going on here in Thailand. It's about 1040, so we're only about an hour and 20 minutes away from the new year. So we've already got fireworks going off around is this new year there's a lot of learning opportunities for you guys and not only can you join these learning opportunities here at the temple but you can join them online because i'm starting to live stream and or open zoom during all the classes and courses and retreats that i'm teaching this is a new thing for the new year that every time i'm teaching at the temple i'm essentially opening up zoom and in some cases i'm going to be having the live stream going for facebook and youtube and recording for the podcast as well starting tomorrow at 9 a.m which is less than 12 hours from now i'm going to be starting a new course it's called foundation in the path to enlightenment this is a course i've been teaching for many years and i teach it every month so it's a five-day course where you can learn all the foundational teachings in order to establish a foundation in the path to enlightenment you can see all the courses in retreats on our website if you go to buddhadailywisdom.com you're invited to attend all of these of course we have our sunday wednesday and saturday classes that are 9 a.m and 9 p.m but there's also these monday through friday courses and retreats that you're welcome to attend if you like and if you can't attend them live they're recorded in some cases so you can watch them at your own convenience so i'd like to invite and welcome all of you guys to continue your learning through the foundation and the path to enlightenment course the Harmony and Relationships course, the Experiencing the Jhanas and the Four Stages of Enlightenment. There's a retreat called Developing a Life Practice to attain the first stage of enlightenment. And there's a retreat called Purification of the Mind to attain enlightenment. And you can see all the details of these on our website. If you have any questions on those, you can always let me know. In our next Sunday's class, we're going to be in chapter 17, which is titled Eliminating Fear. Are you really scared? I'm going to be helping you to understand how to eliminate fear from the mind, which there's some unique things that you can be doing to eliminate the fear. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to be doing the breathing mindfulness meditation together so that you can experience a guided meditation and then open up to any and all questions that you have. So you're welcome to join any of these classes, courses, and retreats, and perhaps we'll see you guys in one of those future classes. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day and the rest of the year. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. 
A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.